You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 242 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and I forgot to put my phone on silent before we start the show. Yes, yes, you did. Uh, Nev, please tell him off. <laughs> well, it's a bit pointless, really, isn't it? I know. We normally say phone silent, don't we? I know. Oh, dear. So welcome, everyone, who's joined us this evening. And uh, joining me, as always, here in the PTUK studio, pressing all the right buttons, it's my co-host, Matt Smith. And quite often, all the wrong buttons. What, what, is, what is the joke, isn't it, with, um, oh, who is it? Uh, uh, Morecambe and Wise, wasn't it? It's like, I'm praying... I'm playing all the right notes not necessarily in the right order uh, yes hello everyone are you all right Matt yes I'm fine thank Good. you yes I'm feeling a little overdressed I, 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 thought, were... I thought we I thought we'd agreed that look it was going to be suit Fridays I mean what, what's going suit on here suit and tie I feel like I'm going to wear my waistcoat next week yeah I, I was a little bit late back from mm. work basically so it was uh, I, don't, I haven't had time to change or anything basically so so joining us as well is the other awesome co-host of the show, and he's back from his uh, holidays and his awesome time he had in Gibraltar. Welcome, Neville Bounds. Yes, hello everybody, and uh, I really enjoyed it too. I had a great birthday last Thursday, and uh, then we flew back on Monday of this week, which was very nice. Uh, came back on a A320neo, which sounds like a trip on seven. And when I've finished rendering a bit of video in a second, I'll see if uh, Matt can play it out later in the show. Yes, but, I'm uh, sure that was pretty good. And um, also, I did uh, the interview with the general manager of Gibraltar Tower. As you, um, you do. As you do. And that went down very well, I think. So uh, we're just waiting for clearance to use it. And as soon as we do, we'll play it out on an episode of the show. We said That's will. brilliant. So you had a great time in there. It looks like the weather was nice. It uh, looked after you while you were yeah. there. Very lucky. It was, <clears throat> excuse me, about 22 degrees for most of the time. Had a bit of rain on Monday morning, but it didn't last for very long. Um, but yeah, just spot on. But it's that part of the world where 22 degrees feels like about 25 or 26 degrees because the sun's so high uh, in, the, in the sky during sort of midday time. But it was uh, great. Yeah, very busy there as well. Lots of uh, ships coming in uh, to dock there. Um, was people buying their duty-free. Duty-free in Gibraltar, I can recommend it. You know, a bottle of vodka that would be £23 here is £6.80. <gasps> Goodness me. <laughs> really? The, the only tragedy is that legally you can only bring in uh, one litre uh, per person. Uh, now, see, that's where that's where you do what I think. What was it? One of the Ryanair stories this week, where they were trying to get around the new baggage rules and regulations, yeah. where you've got various <laughs> concealed pockets that you can pour clear liquids into. I uh, think that's, that's, there's yeah. only so many hip flasks you can store on one's person. <laughs> but joining us as well this week, and uh, he's, he's just joining. See, he, he was there hiding in the in the background, and we just thought, you know what, he's there. We'll have him back on the show because we love him a bit. Bless him. All he, all he wanted to do was test his I new know, setup, he was and I made him stay. He's got a brand. <laughs> new mic he's got a brand new mic holder and uh yeah. well he, he's looking all smart so welcome onto the show armando yeah. hi everybody yeah it really did just start as uh hey matt yeah how do you think this microphone is gonna sound yeah um, uh, and, and yeah. i thought it sounded very good so there you are you're stuck with it now and now that's it you're here for two hours excellent well done <laughs> how are right. things with you armando uh good ha uh, first of all happy birthday nev oh uh, Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I was off on a work trip out to Eastern Europe uh, on a certain pink and purple airline and then uh, came back and uh, had a little flight this morning, actually, 
up oh. in the uh, Cessna 150. Oh, yeah. get you. I must say, I, I very much love the... Uh, um, uh, very much love the stuff behind behind you with your, your various um, your, your flight masks and stuff. That's quite a cool little display that behind you there. That is very good. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So joining us uh, as well in the chat room, we've got loads of the usual PTUK family in there. So welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room. Loads of names. We'll just quit a quick whiz through as always. It's, uh, Auntie Liz is in the chat room. Andy Furlong, Liz Piper, James Can Draw, Flyer152, he's local to us here in uh, Suffolk. Graham Haley as well, Lane Street. Uh, we've got Dr. Steph as well. Richard Adams is in the chat room. Uh, Paul Tricker, hello to you, Paul. He's actually joined us on a live show this uh, this week, which makes a change. Tanya W, Masha's in the chat room as well. Hello to you, Masha. Uh, Big Ron, hello, Big Ron. Oh, there's a very sweet thing just appeared here. Look, Lara oh. has just said, there's my better half. Oh, look. Oh. Armando's other half is in the chat room. Look. Oh, hello, Lara. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say, say nice things to your wife now. It's soon to be wife now, please. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I... I don't have enough nice things to say about her. Oh, uh, anyway, moving swiftly. Somehow on. he still managed to make that sweet. Seriously. <sighs> anyway, sorry, so it yeah. is the ninth of November, uh, Friday night, and it's just coming up to five minutes past seven in the evening. And uh, well, it's been a, it's been a sort of a, a bit of a news-filled week this yeah, week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some very big stories literally yeah. just hit today, actually. But we do have a very special announcement about a little project that mm. uh, a certain Mr. Bounds is uh, heading off to do uh, later on this uh, month. And uh, Neville's going to talk about that later on in the show, aren't you, Nev? Yes, and it's taken a little while. These things always do take a little while to, to tee up. Um, but, um, yeah, we've got a, a very interesting interview, uh, which I'm doing on Friday morning of next week. And we have co-opted the wonderful Captain Nick Anderson to do it for us mm. because we feel he's more qualified, and he certainly is. Uh, so it'll mm. be, uh, be very interesting. But more info about that later on the show so in the show this week we've got all the usual news and stuff but uh, we've also got uh, another awesome segment from uh, captain al from oshkosh this year and uh, he's going to be talking uh, about uh, the app the app for Mm. i'm just trying to think of the name of it now i'm looking for the show four flight that's it that's the one four flight which i think is a little bit similar to sky demon i think for those of you in the uk who may use sky demon i think it's very similar to that armando isn't it yeah, I think uh, four flights been around. It's a little bit different functionality. It's more uh, well, it can use it. You can use it for IFR flying, airlines, corporate flying. While I think Skydemon's uh, definitely catered toward the uh, VFR market. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, that's coming up later on the show. We've also got some military news this week as well. A few some uh, some great stories coming up there uh, this week, including one about uh, the uh, Eurofighter as well, which is quite exciting news. Um, but uh, also, not forget as well to stay stay tuned towards the end of the show because we have got an incredibly um, very good piece that's been put together um, for the show, which we're going to play at, right at the very end of the show. 
um, especially uh, because of what uh, is going on Sunday this week. Yes, here. of course. It's every, every, everybody who lives here in the UK will know, obviously, that it's Remembrance Sunday. And uh, as is traditional with these things, we do have a, a special piece, uh, piece to play out. Uh, that, again, I've had some help from Captain Nick Ford. But again, more of that uh, later on the show. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Uh, yes, frantically. Yes. And if you're ready, Nev. Incredibly, yes. And if you're ready, Armando. Ready to go. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, it's on the AirlineGeeks.com. Uh, Do you know, website. I thought you were going to say Airline Pilot Guy then. No, no, no. <laughs> It's a bit like Airplane Geeks as well, right, but this is the AirlineGeeks.com. Oh, yeah. It's a really good website, actually, for those of you who are into your, uh, your air of geekness. But the uh, headline is, United takes delivery of Boeing 787-10, first airline to operate all three variants of the aircraft. So United Airlines has become the first North American airline to take delivery of Boeing's newest Dreamliner, the Dash 10. Receiving the aircraft from Boeing on Monday this week, the first American airline to operate the Dreamliner a year after its first uh, delivery back in 2012. United has since purchased aircraft in every variant of the Dreamliner, including the Dash 8, Dash 9, and now the Dash 10, making it the only airline to operate all three variants. The delivery took place at Boeing's North Charleston facility on the grounds of Charleston International Airport. Following the delivery, the aircraft was flown to United's mid-Atlantic hub at Washington Dulce Air International Airport as it prepares for its first flight from Los Angeles to New York, oh, sorry, Newark, actually, on January the 7th uh, next year. Uh, the Dreamliner will fly domestic transcontinental routes for crew training and familiarization purposes until March when it goes international. Boeing's largest Dreamliner variant is larger than its predecessor, the 787-9, by 18 feet and touts 20% less fuel consumption. The additional length of the aircraft allows to it to carry 318 seats in United's three-class configuration, consisting of Polaris Business Class, Premium Plus and Economy. Business Class will feature uh, 44BE Aerospace Diamond seats in a 1-2-1 -one configuration. Premium all, uh, Plus will offer 21 seats in a 2-3-2 configuration, and Economy Class will offer 253 seats in a 3-3-3 configuration, 54 of which are United's Economy Plus product with extra legroom. Although it's the, uh, it has the shortest range out of the three at just under 6,500 nautical miles, According to the Boeing, the Dash 10 still has the range to serve all of United's European and Middle Eastern destinations from its Newark, New Jersey hub, which it plans to do in summer 2019. Cargo will be the largest upgrade as the aircraft allows for 41% and 13% increases from Boeing 78-8 and the 787-9 respectively. The Dash 10 is an excellent addition to the United's fleet. It offers superior fuel efficiency while providing a more comfortable customer experience on board. That allows passengers to arrive at their destinations feeling more refreshed, said Jerry Lederman, Chief Financial Officer at United.
United, who was at the Boeing facility for the delivery celebrations. The United uh, Airlines team is raising the bar again with the new 787-10, and United will fly the most fuel-efficient wide-body jet in commercial aviation today. The larger airplane comes with more seats, more cargo capacity, and the same dreamliner comforts that passengers prefer. Now, I saw this um, this particular uh, aircraft at Dubai Air Show mm. last year, the Dash 10. Didn't get a chance to go on board, unfortunately, but um, had a good look close up. And uh, it's uh, is a heck of an aircraft to see close up, I will say. Yeah, um, but it would be nice to uh, to see anyone who is in the U.S. who gets a chance to fly on United and has a go on the uh, Dash 10 to give us your feedback and let us know what you think of the aircraft. Mm. Um, but what do you think, Nev? Are are they are United the launch customer for the Dash 10? Did I yes correctly? Yes. Yes. So um, no, I think it's going to be really good, and I think that whole series of aircraft, uh, they've they've really got a lot of life out of that uh, air or that type of airframe. That's for sure. So mm. um, the, the longer range and the better engines and that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing one in the flesh. Yes. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is uh, for Matt, and it's on the bbc.co.uk website. And it's safe to say this story, um, well, actually this was sent to me by uh, Neville Bounds. Indeed, yeah. 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 Bre- breaking news, in fact, about five hours ago, wasn't it? And this is on the BBC News website, as Carlos says. And the headline, rather surprisingly, is Ryanair plane seized by French authorities <laughs> in a cash Row. So a Ryan airplane has been seized by French authorities in a row over money and the latest problem for the airline. The French Civil Aviation Authority grounded the Boeing 737 on Thursday uh, at Bordeaux Airport before it was due to fly to Stansted with 149 passengers on board. It said the move was a last resort. The dispute was caused by French subsidiaries paid to Ryanair for flights from uh, one of the regional airports between 2008 and 2009, which the European Commission later deemed illegal. The French Civil Aviation Authority did not say how much money was involved, but the regional airport officials said the sum was in excess of €525,000, or £457,000. The authority said uh, the plane will remain immobilised until the sum is paid. Uh, This is unfortunate that the state has uh, had to take such action, which led to the inevitable inconvenience of 149 passengers on board uh, the immobilised plane. The French Civil Aviation Authority said the, those passengers were able to eventually reach their destination later that evening on another Ryanair plane, but with a five-hour delay. It is the latest in a series of setbacks for Ryanair, which has recently faced a series of strikes by pilots and cabin crews across Europe. But despite uh, flights cancellations, Ryanair reported an 11% rise in traffic in October as it carried 13.1 million passengers. The stoppages contributed to a 7% fall in profits uh, to 1.2 billion euros. Oh, poor them! Uh, for the six months to the thirtieth of September. So now, so this is very much in in stark contrast to the problem with was it was it uh, Prem, uh, Prem Premier wasn't it Premier where yeah. where the the planes were impounded because basically the checks were bouncing. Mm. Um, you know, so I mean, obviously Ryanair is very much solvent. This is this is actually just a dispute essentially, isn't it? Which is why it's uh, it does seem like a very I don't know. It seems that is it just me, or, or does that seem a very harsh way of of trying to sort of solve the problem? I don't know. What, one, what 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 are your thoughts? One of the things that amuses me when you when you said on the story, it says that the aircraft will remain immobilised until right. the sum is paid. Right. I just have visions of this seven three seven dash eight hundred. It's got a wheel clamp on it with a wheel clamp. <laughs> 
on the uh, on or, the or taking the uh, taking the rotor arm out of the distributor cap, well, of course, yeah, as we used to yeah. do yeah. back in the day. Yeah. But of course, if you could just imagine the uh, all the scheduling for that aircraft, yeah. you know, the the return visit, all the other sectors it's got to operate, and that absolutely uh, messes up everybody's plans, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's saying here there was 149 passengers were inconvenienced, but of course, in reality, uh, it was probably nearly three or four times that, especially on a short hop from Stansted to Bordeaux. I mm. mean, that's you know, so that'll be one of probably what four sectors that it's going to do in that one day or eight sectors sorry because it's a, a sector yeah. is, is is each four leg flight. isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah is that right i, I reckon armando this uh, aircraft might feature on an episode of airplane repo <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh this is kind of interesting i was reading this and i i was just like man how how much communication must have gone on be- between the french government and ryanair to get to this point where they're just going to wheel clamp the airplane or, or, or maybe yeah, right. none. Maybe that's the problem. Of course. But, yeah. a bit, but, but to be fair, the 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 um, eight hundred series, you know, it's one hundred and two million dollars list price. Right. Um, okay. So you know, <laughs> right. the the half yes. a million that they owe. Yes. Yeah, I think they'll 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 pay it off. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the, I'm not sure what what you guys have over here in Europe, but in the U.S., there's uh, we have the essential air service. We have mm-hmm. uh, we're situations where governments will pay subsidies to airlines mm. to get them to come in you know and they'll basically subsidize a, mm. a portion of the fuel or the seats or the seat miles or something and uh that's essentially a contract between that government and that airline yeah and the faa so if you don't follow through with it i you know probably end up in something like this yeah i, I don't know <laughs> i just i just i just i can't help but feel that this is all a bit ott i gotta be honest Anyway. Well, they haven't paid the bill, Matt. You know, this, uh, yeah, this, that's how things so. are. Yeah. So moving on to the next story. And uh, Nev, this is uh, a nice little story for BA, I think, this week. Yes, we always like a, a BA story, don't we? This is on the londonpost.co.uk. And uh, it says that British Airways has revealed it's offering a new style of work experience, this time for teachers rather than pupils. Oh. Uh, the airline has already received huge demand for the one-day work experience sessions and is urging teachers to apply now for one of the limited number of spaces available. The new program called Teacher Takeoff sees teachers being invited into a number of departments across the airline, including British Airways Operations Centre, its engineering bays and airport terminals. Teachers from London, Glasgow and Cardiff will bring this first-hand experience of the aviation industry back to their class classrooms and incorporate it into lessons, providing their pupils with real-life working examples of topics that they are learning in the classroom. Teachers play a huge role in shaping uh, children's careers aspirations. Uh, Through this innovative programme, BA continues its mission to highlight to young people, both male and female, the broad range of science, technology, engineering and mathematics careers available at the airline. The initiative is on top of the airline's traditional work experience programme. This year, more than two, uh, sorry, more than 600 children have taken part in week-long placements, including 10,000 hours of mentoring in areas around the business from engineering, flight ops and customer service at Heathrow, Gatwick, Cardiff and Glasgow. Right, well, I'm off to become a teacher then, because I wouldn't mind a, <laughs> mind a, day, a day out uh, yeah. having a poke round. That would be yeah. great, wouldn't it? Indeed. Absolutely. Superb. I love the uh, I love the high vis on the picture on this story is um, a BA guy with uh, one of the teachers. I just love the high vis with I'm on work experience on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's mm, t- yes. I mean, he, obviously, he is on work experience, but uh, <laughs> do we need to know that? I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's it's always nice to include people, isn't it? You know, make them it feel it, yes. make them feel special. I think it's yeah. a good. I think it's a really good idea by BA. I think it's good. it's yeah. really really good yeah. idea, and it's, it just helps to to promote them as being a really nice British yeah. Airways. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Armando, do you want to do you want to fancy taking the uh, the next story? Uh, sure. This is uh, from USA Today. So this is American Airlines to allow passengers with nut allergies to board early. Let's right. see. American Airlines will soon allow passengers with nut allergies to board their flights early, according to Today and Fox News. The customers with nut allergies who would like to board flights early to wipe down surfaces may ask to do so at the gate. Though we do not serve peanuts in flight, we can't guarantee that our customers won't be exposed to peanuts or other tree nuts during their trip. So we strongly encourage those with allergies to take all necessary medical precautions before flying. Let's see, Bloomberg reports that the decision came after complaints were filed against the airline last year by the Food and Allergy Research and Education, a nonprofit focused on food allergy awareness. Um, let's see. Yep, basically the uh, airline said that uh, they outlined that decision in a response filing with the U.S. Transportation Department, and Delta Airlines will also do the same here pretty soon. I mean, uh, actually, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, not everybody, obviously, listening or watching, will be overly aware of the the news here in the UK. But of course, we, I mean, it's we've been had big two, news. We've had two very mm. recent sort of deaths, haven't we, as a result of uh, uh, one particular, shall we say, fast food manufacturer who hasn't been very clear on its labelling, mm. uh, and uh, and it has unfortunately cost people their their lives. So I mean, the, these allergies are very very serious serious conditions and I, I must admit I think that's a really good idea to let the person sort of get on board and wipe down you know because they're going to know more about what they need to do if you like with with that condition. Man I'm um, pretty sure I don't think us us four uh, on the show this week you know we've none of us have got any nut allergies no. I don't think Armando you've uh, Nev nut allergies no, I mean, no. No. but i mean I, I i know personally one person who i used to work with yeah. um who had an allergy to peanuts and i saw the effect that really? having a peanut done to him and it was not very nice really i will mm. say yeah. um so it yeah. is quite serious but i mean it, i think it's a great idea for the airlines especially because you don't know uh what you could be exposed to when you're on board the aircraft you know as much yeah. as you can clean and clean and clean but yeah you, you know in your own personal space if you are allergic and there is a potential to um you know. and, the, and the story that i'm i'm referring to of course was uh, it was bought in an airport yeah and yeah. The, yeah. the the child uh then went on the airplane because there's there's nothing they could Had do shock, about it when yeah. they were because they, they went into anaphylactic shock and they didn't have what you know what they needed with them and mm. they were in the air um you know it's 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 it is very serious so yeah no a great idea i think good actually. idea yeah definitely yeah. A good idea. i think from a cost pers- uh, perspective too the you know the cost of a medical emergency on an airline is yeah that's you know cut, they take that out of their own you know out of hide so yeah i think this is probably a small step in the right direction to yeah well that. as you say for just to let, sort of let them on on board sort of say like 10 15 minutes before mm. everyone else just so that they, they can prepare their area and and be be comfortable that there's nothing i mean it's I, I i can't see it doing any harm i think it's a very good idea so the next story is uh, on the new york or ny post new york post 
uh, website and uh, this, this story is um, mm. pretty awesome um, Matt will put the links to the stories as always yes. in the show notes for those of you to uh, see on YouTube but um, this story has a video that goes with it and if you get the chance to watch the video it is highly amusing so the uh, headline is Traveller figures out crafty way to beat airline baggage fees. So a savvy British traveller has found a clever way to bypass Ryanair's new strict rules on carry-on luggage by sewing his possessions into his coat. Lee Kimino, a Camino of 30 of Staffordshire, England, came up with a genius plan ahead of his weekend break to Belfast, Northern Ireland last weekend. Uh, Camino's trip occur occurred just a couple of days after the airline brought its new unpopular restrictions uh, into play, which charge passengers 8 to $10 to take their bag into the cabin and between 10 and 13 to put it into the cargo hold. So he decided to take an old coat to the tailor and see if they could add enough storage to fit a carry-on suitcase worth of belongings. So he told the uh, Sun Online Travel that he, fly, he flies with Ryanair all over the Europe, so he's clued up when it comes to their bag rules. He said it's not breaking any rules to try and take all of your luggage in your clothes. So he took an old coat out of a cupboard and took it to a tailor's where, uh, in Tunstall to see what they could do. And uh, he uh, commented on saying uh, that he wasn't trying to pack the most I could in, it was just the amount that I needed for an overnight stay. So he had a pair of trainers, a pair of shorts, a t-shirt, a jumper sweater, a towel, a pair of boxer shorts, some socks and all his liquids and the whole contents of my roll on a bag. The coat fitted comfortably with all of the stuff in it even and even wore it uh, around Belfast until he got uh, to the accommodation where he was staying. According to uh, the chap here, the trip through the airport was seamless and no one even battered an eyelid. He said it was very comfortable and not even <laughs> yeah. noticeable. Probably and quite no one commented as, well. <laughs> as I was getting on the plane. Yeah. And going through security wasn't hard either. I just took it off and put it on the tray. There was no scene created because we weren't trying to make a scene. We just wanted to do it in a discreet manner to see if we could to prove that you can get onto a plane still carrying what you needed. It's not the first time he has dodged Ryanair's luggage charges as he already gets around their pricey baggage charges when taking ski holidays each year with friends. He said that when I go snowboarding, I have to pay for a snowball bag on the plane. So I always put my all of my clothes in the snow bag as well uh, so that he doesn't have to pay for extra uh, suitcase. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> after watching the video of this earlier on today for, uh, before we start the show, it, I mean, it, 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 he done well. I think I, I he played done. some excerpts of the video <laughs> while you were talking, so it's... Uh... Yeah, it's an uh, impressive coat. Uh, as I say, I'm probably a bit <laughs> snug and warm, I suspect. But uh, yeah. Yeah, any, think, any... Well, Paul and Andy are in the chat room. We're talking about the same thing that I was thinking, which is, man, this guy, you know, on a hot airplane, he must uh, smell lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there is that to it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on this, uh, Nev? <laughs> no, it's, it's 
mad, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. I, I mean, you've got to give, but you've got to give him ten out of ten for ingenuity and creativity. Agreed, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's genius, and, and long may he get away with it. That, that, yeah. That's the long and the short of it. He yeah. saved money. At the end of the day, we we all want to save a few pounds here and there. We do, yeah, definitely. And uh, he just added a few pounds, but in one yeah, absolutely, himself. yeah. I yeah. I normally do that on the way home, having after my party, you know, after my my various mm. sort of things. Anyway, hey, moving on to yeah. the next story. Uh, yeah. Uh, which uh, actually this uh, this is uh, another BA story, but Matt, you're going to take this one. Yeah, you? so this is on the Daily Star, obviously, which is where we go for all our aviation-related news. Mm. And uh, the headline is British Airways Concorde on the move as wheels, tyres and brakes are replaced. Ooh, so the Queen of the Skies has spent years being gutted, used as a skip and thrown into years of neglect at London's Heathrow Airport. We previously published shocking pictures of the iconic British Air Airways plane dumped on the edge of a busy, busy airport in the capital. One jaw-dropping image showed a mountain of magazines stuffed into the jet into the jet to act as a weight and stop the empty shell from toppling over uh, they also showed the seats being pulled out the overhead luggage holds torn off the the floor ripped up and the interior cladding completely removed uh, a ba spokeswoman told us a year ago concord uh, golf bravo oscar alpha bravo uh, was moved inside our engineering bay for three months and received a refurbishment in which we replaced her tyres, wheels and brakes as well as tidying up her paintwork, cleaning all the windows and refurbishing other elements of her interior. But the sudden flurry of activity is not because Concord is preparing to fly again but yeah. simply to extend its life as a static display. When uh, the Daily Star Online asked if there were any plans to finally open the jet up to the public or move it into a museum, BA stated the aircraft would be staying put. Uh, now, I, I, I feel this is a bit of a sad story, really, because I, 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 it seems a terrible waste for it to just be oh, yeah. stuck at the end of a, a runway. And I, I dare say there are museums across the country who would give their right arm oh, yeah. to, to sort of have this particular machine on it, display. It's, it's I mean, such it's an incredible waste. I remember seeing this um, last year. Uh, up close um, when I was that way and seeing the aircraft and how dirty and it looked in an absolute state. I'm sure, Nev, you, you've probably seen this a number of times. This yeah, I mean, I saw it uh, the other day when we went out to uh, Gibraltar, actually, and um, it's even... This is sound like a very hard luck story. It's even worse for me because that uh, Alpha Bravo is the uh, Concorde that I flew on. Uh, oh, is it? Back oh, back, wow. back in the day uh, when I was a, a young lad and my my dad uh, knew somebody at British Airways Engineering who did one of those uh, family and friends flights around the Bay of Biscay. And uh, so, yeah, um, and it's been sat there for oh, years now, very unloved. Uh, they have cleaned it uh, recently, um, but uh, it's um, it's a shocking indictment, really, isn't it? That it's not been put somewhere, and uh, it, all the other aircraft have found reasonable homes around the world. Um, but uh, yeah, the, this this should be uh, properly looked after, uh, mainly I think because as as a celebration of uh, the achievement of the aircraft, bearing in mind it was designed in the late 50s and, and early 60s, and it was still flying up until, you know, 2003. 
um, but um, uh, all the uh, ladies and gents that work very hard on that aircraft, both in uh, France and in the UK, I think uh, it deserves better than to be sat uh, where it is, don't you? Yeah, yeah I, I'm just I looking at the pictures on here agree. of all the, there's an interior picture here on the story of um, all the magazines and stuff which have just been stacked up inside the aircraft and you can see where the overhead bins have been ripped out and uh, and it is, incre I mean, like Matt said, there, there must be a, a good handful of museums around the UK that would possibly have the space to uh, have this aircraft on display for the general public to to, to look at. Obviously, we've got um, Concorde zero zero two, I think at Duxford Imperial War Museum. Mm -hmm. here. Is it one? Is it? Zero? Yeah, it's one zero one. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got that to look look at here. But you know, this it's, it is just such an, a blooming waste. I agree. Um, I completely. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm quite surprised that BA haven't um, kind of turned around and and kind of you know gated this off and, and turned it into a an exhibition and where I mean, where they I, wouldn't charge I mean, for the public to look. But it, I mean, it's airside, so I get why mm. it's not yeah. available to yeah. the to the general public. You know, to have a walk round. Now I get that. That's fine. But. <laughs> Why is it, you know, I'm not being funny, they could be parking an aeroplane, because presumably they're paying for the right to, to mm. for it to be sat there. It just seems like a terrible waste of their money, resources, when it could be, not being funny, being lovingly restored, like they've done at Duxford. They've done a lovely job of yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of keeping the interior and stuff. Mm. Uh, well, I, I, well, they must have their reasons. I, I just, I just... It's all to do with money, Matt. Cost. Yeah, That's what it boils down but, to. But uh, but however much this must have just cost them seriously, where they're saying they've made alterations mm. to it and put on new tires and all this kind mm. of thing. I mean, not be, if I if should they, imagine if they, they had spares. If they put it on long-term loan to, um, say, a you know a museum or something like that, then surely they would be taking mm. care of the restoration. I mean, it just uh, the whole thing just seems. Really, it's a shame. It's just such a waste. Yeah. It's also a pity because there's uh, Alpha Charlie, which is at um, Manchester Airport. That's very well presented. That's one of the best ones that I've seen there. Mm. Uh, Alpha Alpha is at uh, East Fortune, uh, just south of Edinburgh. And then you've got the pre-production ones. In fact, I was down at Mercedes-Benz World yesterday at Brooklands. They've got the uh, on the uh, pre-production Concords uh, down there, just almost sat on the uh, on the roundabout. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's, I don't understand why, obviously there must be a huge cost of just leaving it where it is. So, mm -hmm. well, you might as well spend a bit more money and, and, and make the plane look uh, nice and, and put it somewhere yeah. where it can be shown to, to people properly. But it could also be you know, generating revenue. You know, if, if mm, that's what I said, yeah, you know, could, people would be willing mm. to pay, as you say. Anyway, Neil anyway. Neil Lamward says in the chat room actually that uh, they probably don't want it out in the open as a reminder of what we can't do anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. It's a, it's a, a Jim Bowen, isn't it? This is what you could have could have won. Yes, yeah. uh, so, yes, yeah. 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 yeah, actually, uh, Paul Trick has just said as well that the one at Duxford has been really well looked after, like you said, Matt. And uh, yeah. they he said here that they've even done maintenance on the aircraft so that the nose can be drooped again, mm. um, which mm. is quite good. But, uh, yeah, it's a shame. But, yeah, we'll move, move on to the next story. So, Nev, uh, next one is for you. Yes, and uh, I'm glad you uh, told me about that because uh, I've just got to um, had some a bit of a browser problem on my uh, oh. machine here, but if okay. this is finally loaded, thank goodness. Um, could I just apologise to anybody in advance because there are some 
going to be some awful pronunciations in this, uh, in this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've just, I've just seen it during my rehearsal this afternoon. I was, I was looking at it. Um, this is on the Boeing Boeing. Hang, hang on dot a minute. What did you net. say? Yes. Rehearsals. That's one of oh, those. Sorry, is, isn't that what everybody does? <laughs> of, of course, yeah, absolutely. I've been reading them all afternoon. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I take I take my lead from uh, APG. You know, they are the gold standard for well, this. Well, that, yes. so. that is very true. Very true. Yes. Very Shut true. up, Smith. Yes. <laughs> now, this is a, a pretty unusual story, I've got to say here. And I think it's got some video with it, Matt, as well. Yes. Um, and it says that two airlines have made bold choices with their in-flight safety video, interpretive dance, and run DMC. <laughs> oh, I like the other one. You thought the BA one was a bit weird. Just have a look at some of this um well the taiwanese airline eva air is using interpretive dance in their safety video uh, over five long minutes of it according to the airline's press release uh, and uh, it was choreographed by a member of taiwan uh, taiwan's uh, indigenous uh, paiwan uh, community uh, they described the video as a work of art that's as captivating as it is informative sure and secondly, uh, the brand new one from Air New Zealand. It's got a tune, it's Kiwi Safety, that sounds an awful lot, uh, awful lot like Run DMC's It's Tricky. Their version was filmed in several New Zealand locales with a cast of 600. It stars well-known Kiwi actor Julian Dennison, uh, and, uh, as well as talent from over 30 community groups across the country now I, I know this is a bit of a controversial area but this is a safety critical stuff again and i think i don't know i know they're trying to make them more appealing to people and i know that they're trying to uh, make people watch it but as i watched the british airways one again on thursday of last week and monday on the way back i'm just thinking it's funny to begin with, and I think these are you know, interesting to begin with as well, probably. But I, I personally, I think if it's safety critical, it's got to be treated seriously and presented in a serious fashion. But then I'm a bit old-fashioned. Yeah, Matt was uh, Matt's just playing a little snippet here of the yeah. New Zealand uh, video. For those of you who are watching uh, on YouTube, we're about to see this. But if not, if you're listening to the audio podcast, just uh, take yourself to the show notes. Uh, Matt will put the links in there for, uh, yep. for the story. And uh, you'll probably be able to find these videos on YouTube as well. And uh, you've, you've got to watch the, the, key, the, the Air New Zealand uh, uh, safety demo video because, it, like Nev said, you know, there's a kind of... There's a safety video, and then there's a, a, a kind of See, elaborate safety video. I mean, I mean, all right. So we're watching this. So it's, it's all about sort of interpretive dance and all that kind of thing, and that's fine. I, that, that that's fine. But and at least, and I know, like, all right, we we'll use the BA one as an example, Nev, obviously, because it's one that we played out in full on the show, and and all this kind of thing. Obviously, you've seen it recently as well. But and I know they're using celebrities and all that kind of thing. But they are literally, they they do sort of do the celebrity thing, and then they come back and do the next part of the demo do you know what i mean and then they go back yeah. to some kind of celebrity cameo and stuff I, I can almost tolerate that sort of stuff but i mean this is not i don't think this is great i've got to be honest i no. i I, th <laughs> I think the the message is being lost here and it is as you as nev quite rightly says it is you know a safety critical thing going on here and, and i'm 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 
I'm not on board with the two that we're watching at the moment, I have to say. Mm. And I, I must admit, I kind of liked the BA one because of all the cameos and, and it was quite funny in places and all that kind of thing. But the message still got across. But I'm yeah. not sure that I'm, you know, the, the, certainly the the um the one that I've been watching with the, you know, the, the new Air New Zealand one, I'm watching it and I, I, I'm not sure what's going on. Mm. And I don't think that's a good thing. What when... do you think, Armando? Yeah, I, I got a different... <laughs> or I guess an additional point on this is uh, I know Virgin redid theirs a couple of years ago and they have a, it's basically like a cartoon movie uh, and the in-flight entertainment is so terrible that it makes you not want to watch it anyways. <laughs> so between, between that tiny little monitor that's all mm. pixelated and you can't really see what's going on and the, you know, terrible speaker system, you, you kind of just don't want to pay attention to it, it no matter how nice it is. Yeah, have a think about this. Imagine uh, it's, and I don't want to be ageist here because, you know, we're all getting on a bit, frankly. Um, <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I can see. But imagine uh, an 80-year-old man or woman that's yeah. only flown twice or three times in their life or something like that, and they're presented with that as the... Uh, a safety demonstration. I, I I can't find the words really. Yeah, and it's yeah. a valid point. I mean, it's all right for for us, I suppose. We can make laugh laugh like light and joke about it. But you know, we're fairly up on our safety and know how to put the masks on because we've done regular flying and all that kind of thing. But as you say, if it's somebody and they've just watched that Air New Zealand one, I mean, I think you'd really struggle to 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 make sure that you'd picked out everything that you needed to know. You know. I, I, th I think I think you're right. Anyway, we should move on because it's a slightly controversial subject. Who's next? Um, <laughs> uh, who did this story? Uh, I can take this, uh, the Portugal one. Yes, yeah, yeah do go that. on. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so from Portugal News Online, uh, Airbus uh, was this week reportedly preparing to hand over the first Airbus A330-900 to launch operator Tap Air Portugal as flight testing gets underway of the smaller 800 variant. According to specialized website Flight, Go uh, Flight Global, the A330 marketing chief Crawford Hamilton said the delivery of the first A330neo is imminent. The aircraft is parked at the delivery center and will be handed over in the coming days. The first aircraft was originally due for delivery to TAP in early 2018, but the flight test program was delayed, primarily due to holdups with the Trent 7000 engines. Uh, Airbus, meanwhile, also confirmed this week that the A330-900 variant, which offers the lowest seat mile cost in the midsize wide-body category, will soon be entering airline service with launch operator TAP Air Portugal. The A330-800 and A330-900 have more than 99% commonality across the two A330-NEO versions. They share the same type rating with the other members of the Airbus a330 family, which are the best-selling mid-size wide-body aircraft ever. The A330-900 version seats 287 passengers with a, with a typical three-class layout. Uh, A330neo also is said to have the quietest and most comfortable cabin in its category, fitted with a new cabin. The A330neo features an innovative and customizable entrance, full LED ambient lighting, new labs, as well as the latest in-flight entertainment system for an exclusive experience aloft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this uh, I didn't realize when I was reading the story um, early this week that uh, obviously the, the 800 series is, uh, is going to be uh, kind of the baby uh, A330 of these, and obviously that's um, in, in testing at the moment, but um, 
I, I've flown, obviously I've flown a few years back on the A330, I had my, uh, had my go on the 330 and um, I wasn't, wasn't hugely impressed by it unfortunately I will say, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Neo is like because the thing that I found with the, um, the, the A330, the original one, was that the engines are incredibly noisy, mm. um, so it'll be interesting to see if the Neos, obviously because Nev, you flew the Neo 320 Neo back from uh, Gibraltar, and uh, I think you said it was it was quieter in the cruise. Yeah, definitely. And um, in fact, uh, I, I would say that um, in the cruise, it's definitely quieter. Um, on the takeoff run, though, you normally get that sort of buzzing sound with the the current engine option. Uh, with the uh, the Neo engines, it sounds like you're on a triple seven. And I wonder whether Matt has got that. Um, I have indeed. Yes, uh, yeah. video that I just uh, edited as we were talking, yeah. and um, you can have a listen to it. Turn your volume up, volume up, ladies and gentlemen. This is the takeoff from takeoff from Gibraltar in an A320 Neo. were you Nev in where because it seems very was, quiet uh, to me that was seat 3F uh, I was in um, and actually the, the amount of power that's available from those engines is extraordinary because in the um, the old series of engines you probably need a you know a full power takeoff from Gibraltar because it's only 6,000 foot runway but on the uh, on the new engine options these ones uh, they are so much more powerful and much bigger as well when you actually see them um, but uh, yeah, they can actually flex or, or derate the takeoff power uh, because there, there's so much uh, excess power available uh, with these things. So um, it just seemed um, very yeah. uneventful. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It just sort of, it just, <laughs> it's just no, but it's just, it's like just as but you sort of yeah, it's a very di different sound to the uh, oh yeah the current engine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's for sure. Um, but uh, in the cruise, it's I would say it's significantly quieter. Uh, no question about. Yeah, it certainly sounded it. There oh, we well, go. Yeah, well, uh, well done for sending that across, Nev. And uh, yes, you see, I can do things on the fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah. the next story yep. uh, is on the airlineratings.com website. Bit of a tech one, this one. And uh, Qantas uh, trials mobile phone passport technology. Ooh. So uh, Qantas passengers with Android phones will be able to load passport details on their devices as part of a new biometrics trial. Uh, this is aimed at finding ways to speed up uh, airport processing. The month-long trial at Brisbane Airport uses facial recognition technology and allows users for the first time to upload details from uh, a biometric chip equipped passport to their phone uh, in their own home. Uh, the use of the app available from uh, the Google Play Store differs from previous trials where passengers had to enroll at a kiosk at the airport. 
Uh, Their secured data uh, will be matched to their faces using uh, cameras as they move through the airport and it means they will not need to show a boarding pass or passport at the lounge uh, or at the boarding gate. Uh, the airline says it will use the test and passenger feedback to help prioritise future biometric trials and investments. The mobile app does not apply to uh, passengers travelling to the US, but can be used by volunteers travelling from Brisbane to Singapore, Tokyo and Hong Kong. Passengers also still need to use their passport for border control. Customers have told us that they want to move seamlessly through the airport without having to present uh, travel documents at every stage of the airport experience, said Qantas Head of Product Development and Strategy, Phil Caps. What's unique about this technology is it allows customers to store their passport details on their mobile phone, which is matched to their face via the cameras while moving through the airport. The trial is being conducted uh, in conjunction with uh, technology company CETA. S-I-T-A, and the airport. It's part of a wider trials by Qantas that have seen 20,000 passengers processed using facial recognition in Brisbane, Sydney and Los Angeles. More than three quarters of airlines and airports are planning investments in biometric technologies over the next three years and Qantas trial will provide valuable passenger feedback to shape the future implementations, CETA President Asia Pacific Sumesh Patel said. Now, what do you think, guys? Saving your passport details and stuff on your mobile oh. phone. What could possibly go, go wrong, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> um, well, let's have a think about this. We've already got a problem with data security, it mm. seems, certainly in the UK and maybe elsewhere as well. People lose their phones quite a lot, don't they? Um, Especially when on holiday. And, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um, and also, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I use the, um, um, what's it called, the Boarding Pass app, uh, the BA Boarding Pass app on my phone, and that works pretty well mm. um, most times. Uh, but on the passport side of it, it's obviously it's not on the phone, it's a separate thing, but the facial recognition thing, and you put your passport in, in the machine. Mine works uh, about one in five times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Nev was showing off uh, on Monday because she said, I don't know what the trouble with your passport is, Nev. Mine works every time. And of course, it didn't, did it? So I was particularly <laughs> pleased. Right, yes, yes, yeah, quite smug so about we, that. So yeah. there's still a bit of technology mm. to think about but also the uh, the data and personal security thing as well now i don't have the answers to all that because obviously you've got credit card information possibly on your mobile phone and all sorts yeah. of other bits and pieces i so mean i think I, I, I think storing it on your mobile phone I, I feel much more comfortable about storing data on my mobile phone than i do any other device i feel much more comfortable mm. with it in my phone than i do say on my laptop or anything like that and I think a lot of it is because they do use things like fingerprint right? I mean it, Carlo, even Carlos' silly Android thing has got a, a, a thumb sort of record you know you can you can do a fingerprint and stuff and there's something about that that I, I like do you know what I mean it, it sort of makes it quite difficult to sort of access, access yeah. and hack yeah. into it but I have to confess even when I fly um, you know I, I've used the Ryanair app obviously to get my boarding pass etc but I have to confess I do keep a printed copy in oh, folded up yes. in oh, my yes. in my laptop bag which I almost yeah. always carry with me um, I, I don't know do you do something similar Nev, or do you just literally yeah. rely on the app 
No, I, I, when I'm uh, obviously it's difficult to print it out when you're down route. But, yeah. Um, uh, I always print out a copy before I leave home, just in case I lose the phone or yeah, know, something exactly. Like that. But of course, you can't do that with a passport. Um, yeah. So if all you have with you is your is your passport details in your mobile phone and you drop it for say, I mean, never mind, you might mm. not even lose it. You could very easily get knocked into as you've got it in your hand walking through uh, the yeah. terminal and it smashes the screen is un unleg or at least it's not going to be able to be read by a barcode scanner because it's now got to be crack across the middle of the of the thing. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's... it's uh... Sorry, just reading your comments in the chat room yeah, here. From another, another great one from Andy yeah. Furlong. Um, uh, he said, a uh, nice word here, uh, access. <laughs> like access, that's, yeah, that's quite good. a good one. I like, I like that, yes, yes, I like that. very, very uh, on the money. But yes, I, I don't know. I, I think that a time will come where everything is all stored on our mobile phones or some kind of electronic device as opposed to... Uh, I mean, I have an app on my phone that has all my various store cards, you know, my, my Nectar card and my Tesco's club card and all that kind of thing. And I just open one up one app and the barcodes and everything are all in there. I, 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 I don't have a, a problem with it per mm. se, but uh, as you say, I no, do think you need a backup. I, it, it wasn't that though uh, that long ago, was it, when we all said, oh, online shopping, oh, no, that could be a bit dangerous, you know, security <laughs> issue. And yeah. we don't, almost don't even think about it now, do we? No, we, in fact, uh, actually, most... into Amazon or whatever it is. Mm. I, I can't yeah, remember the yeah, last time I actually went. Is, is uh, biometrics is just going to be the way of the future, just like you're saying, uh, online shopping. I, I don't know what we're going to gain from biometrics going through the airport. I mean, you're already being recorded everywhere. You know, you're you're being matched against um, a very specific list, right? So, mm. uh, but geez, how much? Yeah, I have. I just counted them. I have 11 airline apps with the digital boarding passes. <laughs> oh wow, yes. that is yeah. the downside, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, this, <laughs> this is it. It's uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. Yeah. Neb's going to take the next story for me, if that's okay. Yes, I am, and it's on the DailyMail.co.uk, and this is. Uh, very tragic, actually, because this is the Boeing 757 that crash landed at Guyana, uh, Guyana Airport uh, moments after takeoff, uh, leaving six people injured. And very fortunately, it wasn't worse than that. Uh, the Fly Jamaica plane, which was bound for Toronto, suffered a hydraulic problem 10 minutes after taking off from Georgetown Airport at uh, 10 minutes past two in the morning and had to turn back whilst coming into land it overshot the runway went through a fence and ended up in a large pile of sand tearing one of its wings off and an engine in the process uh, it comes two weeks after another boeing jet crashed into the ocean off the coast of jakarta and on that occasion 189 passengers and crew lost their lives uh, moments before that crash, the pilot had reported problems with his 737 MAX 8 aircraft and had uh, asked to come back to the airport. Boeing had since issued a warning, to notice, uh, not a warning notice to airlines operating the 737 about 40 sensors, which were believed to play a pivotal role in the crash. Uh, in the case of this uh, 757, though, it's not known exactly what caused the problem with the fly Jamaica plane. Uh, there were 118 passengers, two children and eight crew on board the plane. And at the time of the accident, uh, um, uh, yeah, Minister of uh, Public Infrastructure, David Patterson, uh, said. Uh, that's uh, included 82 Canadians, one American, uh, 35 Guyanese, uh, one Pakistani and one Trinidad. Uh, Trinidadian. Uh, six people suffered injuries and injuries and were taken to hospital, though it's not known how badly they were hurt. 
the flight itself took off at 10 past two local time, but at 2.21, the pilot put out a distress call asking to return to the airport. Uh, the plane touched down at 2.53 when it overshot the runway. A spokesman for Fly Jamaica said, we can confirm that Fly Jamaica flight uh, OJ256 bound for Toronto has returned to Georgetown with a technical problem and has suffered an accident on landing. At this time, we believe that all 118 passengers and eight crew members are safe, uh, but we are providing local assistance and will release further information as it is available. So, uh, yes, a um, bit of a mess, this aircraft, and obviously we'll have to wait for the accident report. Mm. Uh, it's clearly some, uh, some, some big very, stuff. Very dramatic photographs, there, so actually. Mm. Very dramatic photographs. That are bit of background. Uh, history on the aircraft in question. This uh, particular 757 uh, was uh, just over 19 years old. Uh, this one first flew in uh, October 1999. Uh, it's had quite a few owners actually um, since uh, it was born. This it, it was owned by American Transair. Um, it's also been owned by Vim or VIM Airlines, Arula as well, uh, Thomas Cook UK also uh, leased this as well uh, back in 2010. Uh, it then went back to Arula who is uh, a leasing company and then was uh, brought uh, by Fly Jamaica uh, in 2013 uh, in February um, and flown obviously, um, yeah, it's... Uh, Two Rolls Royce, the old uh, RB211 uh, 500 uh, engines on this as well. Um, but um, no, it's uh, it's a shame, obviously, you know, when these sorts of things happen. And it's been been a busy year this year, I think, we'll all agree, for uh, for aviation and uh, a few the accidents. Yeah. It's um it's it's not a good story, is it? At the end of the day, I, mean, I, I mm. thank goodness in this particular case. Uh, everybody who no, nobody was seriously. Well, hurt. it's a Boeing. It's built strongly, Matt. Okay, well, I don't think this is the time for. <laughs> I don't think this is the time for that particular argument to rear its ugly head. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway. moving on to yeah. the next story, then, and uh, who's taking this one? Uh, that would be Armando. Okay, this is uh, from Business Traveler. Uh, Air Transat joins worldwide by EasyJet connections service. EasyJet has signed up. Canadian low-cost carrier Air Transat to its growing worldwide by EasyJet connection service. The agreement will allow customers to self-connect at Gatwick to and from EasyJet service and Air Transat's daily route to Toronto, as well as its seasonal flights to Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal. Uh, Air Transat recently moved to the north terminal at Gatwick, where EasyJet's flights also depart. Uh, let's see. Worldwide by EasyJet was launched in... 2017 with Norwegian and WestJet at Gatwick and has since added partners including Corsair, La Compagnie, Log Loganair, Thomas Cook, and most recently Singapore Airlines. The so-called uh, so self-connect service allows EasyJet customers to book connections and forward flights on easyjet.com with the carrier stressing that the concept does not impact EasyJet's punctuality, its as asset utilization or operating model. Uh, Customers are subject to two hours, 30 minutes minimum connecting time. Flights are not held for connecting pa passengers. Should a passenger miss a connecting flight, they will be transferred to the next available service. Uh, we are really pleased to welcome Air Transat to Worldwide by EasyJet and are confident that their addition to the Worldwide to Worldwide will be very popular with our customers. Um, yeah, there you go. 
So it's a bit of an interesting um, collaboration, don't you think? Uh, you know, obviously Air Transat sort of joining ties with EasyJet here in the UK. I suppose it, I can see how it works really well. Obviously, because you can get all the connections and stuff, um, um, you know, to and from. But uh, it's it's certainly an interesting partnership. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It is. I, I think this is kind of uh, breaking a lot of molds. So I, I know some of the um, websites out there that you can book uh, low-cost plane tickets are doing this, where it's not one ticket, it's separate tickets, but they're just kind of linking them together, and they purchase them, and they give you all the information, but the airlines are n never talking to each other. So just like it's saying here, where if you miss your connection – the other airline doesn't even know that you're coming in because it's a completely separate e-ticket number. Um, but that allows the, the system to get the most cost-effective uh, routes by just kind of linking together the routes. I, I, you know, It's kind of neat to see a, a big company like EasyJet do that. Could so, I be a bit negative, though? Go on, Would then, the only slight snag with it is that obviously the schedules that EasyJet operate and Ryanair and all the low-cost carriers, they are based on very short turnaround times and they are <clears throat> quite susceptible to, to weather you know, problems and uh, crew problems down route and that kind of thing. And if you're partnering, partnering with another airline... Um, is it going to be a code share and, you know, who's taking responsibility for the other end of the, the flight, as it were? Uh, I, I think that's the only slight problem that there might be with these sorts of alliances in that the EasyJet uh, model, if you like, is completely different to Air, Air Transat uh, because obviously they're, they're flying different routes, mm. different aircraft. But um, it would be interesting to see how it works out anyway. Yeah, yeah that also brings up the luggage question too. Will your luggage be transferred? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So moving on to the last story in the commercial news segment this week. And we haven't had one for a while, so we thought this week, just for a change, we wouldn't have a top 10, but we're going to have a top 18. <laughs> and uh, this one is on the Business Traveller website. And, okay, uh, that, which oh, means... Sorry, not Business Traveller, sorry. It's on the... Let me get this right. It's on the BBC. Oh, right. I thought I'd opened the wrong story. There. Sorry. <laughs> BBC.co.uk website. And actually, it was uh, a certain... Uh, Mr. Pilot Pip that oh, uh, made us okay. aware of this uh, particular mm. story uh, which came out this week. And the headline on BBC uh, News is uh, Female Pilots, uh, which airline has the highest number of uh, female pilots? So we have got a top 18. Just to be different, we're going to do a top 18. <laughs> Okay, so uh, uh, is there anything to read or are we just no, launching no. straight into it? Here we go then. Don't start yet, you know the rules. In at number 18. So at number 18, it is the one we all know and talk about on the show every time. It is Norwegian. Just testing. Just testing. Uh, and at number 17, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> At uh, number 17, it's Emirates Airlines. Uh, number 16, please, Armando. Number 16 is Virgin Atlantic. Uh, and uh, number 15, Carlos. It's Cathay Pacific. Uh, number 14 is American Airlines. Uh, number 13, please, Armando. That is Air New Zealand. Uh, number 12, Carlos. Everyone's favourite, Delta. Ooh, at number 11... Just for the Dutchies, it's KLM. Uh, it is our top ten. 
Someone? It <laughs> is Qantas. Qantas in at number nine. We've just been talking about this airline. It's EasyJet. Ah, very good. Uh, in eight. <laughs> it's a bit chewy. It's Tui. <laughs> I see what you did there. In yeah. seven. None other than Neb's favourite, British Airways. Ah, oh, very good. In six. Auntie Liz will be proud. It's Air Canada. Canada. Yes. In five. Is Lufthansa. In four. It's about time to get a little bit of good news. It's United Airlines. In three. It's Air India. In two. It is SpiceJet. And bully special prize. <laughs> Leading the way, it is Indigo. Very good. So that is uh, the airlines that employ the most female pilots. Oh, now, Indigo, Indigo. for those of you who don't know, Indigo is a low-cost airline uh, headquartered in India. It's the largest airline in India by passengers carried and fleet size with a 41.3% domestic market share as of June this year. Yeah. It's uh, safe to say that uh, obviously the top three there, Air India, SpiceJet, Indigo, they're all um, you know based around India. Yeah. Um, but it says here they, they do uh, employ the highest proportion of female pilots at 12.4%. That's according to the latest statistics from the International Society of Women Airline Pilots, or ISWAP. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, it's uh, it's good that we obviously you know because we we'd like to try and promote as much uh, you know mm. uh, airline pilots for, equality for women. I think equality I think the word yeah, yeah. yeah on the show and it's it's always good to see that the numbers are picking up which is no, good that's good this is good as I say as, as if, I I don't you know at the end of the day I don't care as long as they're qualified that's all that is my only criteria I couldn't give a monkey's whether it was a monkey oh I'm sure they're all qualified <laughs> it could be a monkey flying the aeroplane as long as they've got those correct certi- and they haven't bought them you know from some <laughs> you know unreputable source somewhere but uh, yeah it's uh, it, no it's good as no it's great news it's yeah. really good news yeah yeah we, we actually we had uh, on our flight back from Oh, I forget what I think it was last year. Flight back from it probably was one of the Dubai or Oman trips. We had a had a uh, female pilot, and she was really good because she actually talked about where we were flying over at the right. time. And not many pilots do that these days. No, I mean, it used good. to be a very common thing, wasn't it? Where yeah. you, where they sort of chirp up and mm. say, you know, for those of you interested, with you. But then I guess the like the in-flight entertainment is quite often better, so people are either watching <laughs> films or, yeah. or whatever. And of course, a lot of people you can actually watch the map now, which which was oh, I love the moving map. Yeah, which wasn't a thing oh, yeah. of course perhaps when it was much more commonplace but uh, anyway that's so, good news moving on then so uh, over to Nev to introduce the next part of the show yes now talking of moving maps that segued beautifully into this segment <laughs> because do you remember in the old days we, with general aviation, general aviation flying you know it was all about maps and bits of paper and compasses and, and that kind of stuff well obviously things have moved on considerably now with um, apps available for uh, all sorts of different mobile platforms and uh, good old Captain Al uh, whilst he was over in the sunshine of Oshkosh for us um, he spoke to some people at a company called Forflight and they uh, make the integrated uh, apps for pilots but traditionally it was uh, just for the US area but uh, now it includes the European region too so let's uh, go and have a listen to what Al's got to say Okay well we're back at Oshkosh and I've uh, taken time out to uh, chat to Angela and Wolfgang from Forflight 
And uh, Angela's going to tell you a little bit about the, uh, the history of the company and the product, and then we'll have a chat to Wolfgang with regards to the fantastic news that ForeFlight are now in Europe. So, Angela, if I could, just uh, a few moments to tell me a little bit about ForeFlight for those who've not heard of it. Great. Thank you, Alan. Thanks so much for having us on your show. It's very much a pleasure to uh, talk with you and your audience. Uh, so I'm a marketing director at ForeFlight, and uh, ForeFlight is uh, an app company, and we develop software for pilots to do all of their flight planning, looking at weather, airport information, uh, do all of their route planning, also filing flight plans, um, documents, uh, having aircraft manuals uh, accessible in a digital format, um, checklist, digital checklists, pilot logbook. Um, it's an all-in-one uh, app. We call it integrated flight app uh, is the idea there. And we have served the North America market for the last 10 years. Uh, it's very exciting for us uh, in the last year or so to be celebrating 10 years uh, as a company and also 10 years in the Apple App Store. Uh, so our software does run on, uh, on iOS devices, so iPad and, and iPhone. Uh, celebration of 10 years, and uh, in that time, um, you know, we've seen a lot uh, come into the mobile uh, EFB realm and just a really amazing um, journey to be a part of, seeing so much of the, um, the, the technology that was really reserved for panel mount, installed avionics, uh, very expensive, uh, now coming down market into mobile devices and really putting that in the hands of the masses, uh, making it so much more accessible to be you know, a safer, more informed, uh, making better decisions, uh, pilots uh, flying much more safely out there, um, having all of this information at their fingertips. Uh, so that's really our, our mission and our passion, um, is to create a tool um, that is intuitive and puts everything a pilot needs uh, right at their fingertips. So uh, that said, uh, in the last um, couple of years, we have begun uh, a partnership with Jeppesen, and uh, that has been a, a really phenomenal um, partnership. Um, we're partnering with them on a, on a number of levels, and uh, we customers are able to um, pull in Jeppesen IFR charts. Uh, so that was kind of the starting point. Um, also bringing in their terrain and obstacle data, so there's various data sets um, that we bring in uh, to make it the most high quality uh, map uh, experience. We also, um, so as a part of that, uh, having access to that global data set of information, that has really enabled us to then um, start introducing ForeFlight to the Europe market. Um, the, data, the data aspect uh, is critical, uh, as I'm sure all, all of your listeners are aware of. Uh, so that was really a huge stepping stone uh, for us uh, to be able to uh, add to what we already have uh, to serve flying in Europe uh, for both VFR and IFR. Okay, great. Thanks very much. That's a great uh, introduction to, to the product. And uh, I, as many of our listeners know, I, I do f occasionally fly in the U.S. and I have used the product in the U.S. And, and it's been fantastic to see the development over that, that sort of 10-year period. So turning to Wolfgang, um, the transition to going into Europe isn't just as straightforward as just taking the, the application and going, okay, we'll use it in Europe. I mean, it's a, it's a big step, so can you tell us uh, some of the processes that uh, the company's gone through 
to actually reach the point where it's gone, yeah, we can do this and we're going to be successful at it. Yeah, I'm Wolfgang. I'm a support manager for Europe of Forflight. And um, I have used already Forflight since 2011 uh, when doing my FAA IFR license and I was very excited, uh, excited about the announcement that Forflight plans to come to Europe and it was a huge step as well for me. So because I know ab about the challenges for flying in Europe with Euro control, valid routings, with flight plan filings, if it's VFR or IFR, we have in Europe, um, more than 24 official languages. We have a lot of uh, separate authorities with uh, them. We have to negotiate uh, the contracts uh, to get the data, the information. So from that reason, the partnership with Jeppesen was, yeah, in the end, the, the thing what made it happen, that we could use uh, for flight in Europe. So based on the Jeppesen data we could uh, build the uh, Europe-wide uh, database so that we can provide uh, the traffic pattern, airport information, airspace information for flying all over Europe. But as well the integration, uh, the partnership with um, Eurocontrol to get their charts implemented into uh, for flight helps us to provide a single hand solution um, for IFR and VFR pilots. The key point for using for flight is the ease of use. To fly safe, you have to have a tool what helps you to prepare the flight and as well to execute the flight in a safe manner. For that, uh, ForFlight provides a lot of built-in applications. We call them advisors. It starts with a root advisor, what provides you in real time Eurocontrol valid IFR routings. We have as well an hazard advisor, what is based on the high-resolution uh, terrain data to provide you a safe um, safety information about the terrain around you, especially when flying in high terrain. But we have uh, also an integrated, uh, a lot of integrated weather tools for flight preparation, flight planning and flight execution. You can switch on, switch off all uh, layers on a very easy way. So that's a key point, the ease of use. With a few clicks on your iPad, you can have the relevant information for your flight execution. So we have the procedure advisor, what brings the right uh, approach plate on the, on the chart including the approach procedure, you have situation awareness, we have a glide advisor, what can set up for your individual plane, uh, what gives you the range in case of an engine failure, uh, so where can you land. We have all the relevant information including uh, fuel prices, Yeah, what makes planning easier. So yeah, uh, and we are talking to uh, many providers in Germany, uh, in Germany, UK, France and other uh, countries um, about um, 
VFR charts additional to the integrated information. Because sometimes VFR flying is challenging and you need very specific information for the region. So, and we know uh, there already exist a lot of good providers who are delivering um, charts and information for the community in a very good manner. And we are talking to a lot of these providers to integrate their data into ForeFlight, to make ForeFlight the best tool, not only for flying in the US, as well in Europe. So on the flight to Oshkosh, I could already use ForeFlight from flying from Berlin via UK, Scotland, via Iceland, Greenland, Canada, to the US with a single tool, single planning capability, same picture, same weather information, so and that's what we want to do. Great, that's fantastic. I suspect that that's answered uh, many, many listeners' questions with regards to the third-party uh, data availability. So I have uh, one final question, if I may. Uh, very much unlike the United States, we have many, many countries with many borders within Europe. Um, the United States effectively has a handful of borders. Well, it only has its one, but Canada, and then obviously going out to, to the ocean. Um, so as, for example, in the United Kingdom, uh, not only do we have to provide uh, customs with pre-notification for leaving and entering the country, but we have aspects with regards to prevention of terrorism, which is a, a separate entity. Is this something that Forfight uh, across Europe is going to take care of? Is it truly designed for the European market, taking into account all of those problems? Yes, of course. So we are aware of these challenges. Uh, additionally, that comes that some authorities don't accept, uh, for example, we have a flight plan uh, coordinates in the same format other authorities accept. So that's what our uh, filing and routing team is doing. They uh, check all the rules implemented into a route advisor. So if you file a plan and file a VFR route, between countries in Europe, you get exactly the information in a way uh, the authorities on your way accept. So that's one of the big uh, things, <laughs> one of the real big tasks we are working on. Absolutely, it's, it's a challenge uh, to, to keep abreast with everybody's requirements. Uh, finally, then, uh, we're into Europe now, and uh, the launch took place earlier this year. So if pilots want to have a, an opportunity to try to use ForeFlight and see whether it's an improvement over whichever package they're already using, is there a, a free evaluation period or so forth? And, and how do people manage to get the, the right application for, for Europe and the right information, the sort of knowledge bases and so forth? Um, if you could let me know how that pilots would go about that. So if you open an account with ForeFlight, you automatically get a 30 days trial period of a basic subscription. So you can download the data, you can play around with the tool, test everything. The only thing you can't do is download plates and file flight plans. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for allowing us the time to have a chat with you today. Uh, we ask all of our guests, now I don't happen to know if either one of you are pilots or indeed both, but if you had the opportunity to pilot or to be a passenger on any aeroplane, whether it be one that's in current production or one that's destined to a museum, what would be your choice, Wolfgang? Oh, that's a real hard question. So, if I had real the choice... It's an open yeah? book. It's an open, open book. book. 
I really would like to fly into a Spitfire. No question. SR-71. Good choice. Well, thank you very much both, and uh, have a very successful and safe show. Oh, marvellous. Thank you very much. I'll tell you what, Captain Al has done so blooming well I know. with his yes, Oshkosh stuff. He I, really has. I'm not sure I like him being serious. That's no, the I know. Thing, that's the only thing that <laughs> it's makes just me not normal, not is used it? to it. No, no, it's, no it's going to take a lot getting used to. But uh, no, and, and is that the last of our pieces from Oshkosh? It is. Yep. Oh, yep. And, um, but, uh, no, he's done a great job there. And uh, the uh, the four flight stuff was uh, superb, actually, wasn't it? The, it was. Yeah. It looks a great app. You you were saying you'd had a look at it. It's 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 sort of what I call, um, you know, it's it's, it's quite it's, not in, cheap. it's quite intense. No, I mean it's. Yeah. I mean we talk we're saying in the chat room and stuff about it, and that it's, um, you know, we've all in the UK. I think most of us have used at some point. I know Armando, I think, has used it as well. Sky Demon, mm. here in the UK, which is is very similar, um, and it's great for VFR flying here in the UK. Uh, and also the subscription fees are quite quite reasonable as well. This this um, four flight I think is is quite you know for the 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 commercial pilot who uh, who will use this all across the, you know across the globe I think and it's um, it's more in sort of, it looks more in depth mm. put it yeah, that way well, very detailed I'll, yeah I'll jump I'll jump in and say go on Armando mostly general aviation pilots that are using it so the the app is great and i'm i'm not endorsing for flight i'm not paid by for flight i wish i was um but uh everybody uses it from experimental aircraft i was uh, mentioning in the sh in the chat room i got a buddy that uses an ipad with for flight in his panel as his main uh instrument and it's got everything on there that a garmin g1000 or a dynon system would have and in addition to that, the corporate sector uses it, and I think almost every military pilot also has a subscription to ForeFlight. So it really kind of just runs the whole gamut um, from every kind of flying. And and there's other features. So I have a lot of experience with ForeFlight. I, as you guys know, I fly for the Civil Air Patrol back in the U.S., and uh, some things that they didn't mention on there was it does have a search and rescue feature, so I can plug in the search and rescue patterns on any point. It's incredibly easy to use. And then in addition to that, especially in, in the western U.S., you have mountainous terrain. You can turn on a hazard advisor and fly search patterns and realize basically you get a terrain avoidance and warning system just like you do in a high-end aircraft all on your iPad. And, and that's that's one of a few different things that ForeFlight does, but it's... Uh, really just kind of revolutionized the way and i honestly think every other company out there is trying to basically keep up with ForeFlight and their innovation it sounds really as i say it, it looks mm. and sounds fascinating it's uh, uh sounds like it could well be the future then doesn't it yeah it's definitely an awesome piece of kit and it's it's very popular i know for the the pilots that i know mm. who who I know use it it's very popular on and I hate to say this it's very popular on <laughs> Apple devices <laughs> anyway the only platform <laughs> yeah it's quite right mm. I wonder if they do a special one for your banana and if um, you know the road going version oh I see I hadn't thought about that yes yeah. <laughs> that'd be fun wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. indeed anyway should we move on to what many people in the chat room are referring to as the best part of the show uh, yes especially for uh, Mr Jonathan Warner um, this uh, is uh, Paul, we're gonna to and, Paul, and Paul yeah. yeah we have got some military news to do so if everyone's ready certainly are let's Yep. Do it. 
interestingly enough, uh, uh, Armando is just saying here, uh, Do- uh, Dr. Steffa said, I agree with Armando's assessment 100%. So there we are, it's worth knowing. Dr. Yeah, Steph no, Dr. Steffa uses a poor flight for uh, planning her runs and uh, in her Jeep. Well, quite oh, like, yes. yeah. yeah, very good. There we are. So moving on to <laughs> the first story in the military news segment this week. And uh, this one is on the raf.mod.co.uk website and uh, the headline is uh, well this is quite a milestone because I remember this when it first came to the air shows at Riyadh many years ago and a Eurofighter fleet passes 500,000 flying hours so uh, the uh, Royal Air Force Typhoon is steadily growing and uh, in July this year, 12th Squadron informed to operate the Typhoon. And next year, uh, the squadron which currently, currently flies the Tornado will stand up at RAF Lossiemouth. The Eurofighter Typhoon has rapidly accumulated hours across the fleet, particularly in recent years following an increase in the tempo of air policing and combat operations. The Royal Air Force... When you re- say air policing, is that basically going and seeing the Russians yeah, seeing and then the Russians, coming back? Yeah, yeah. Telling okay. them to, <laughs> to, to, to go away politely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, Royal Air Force will return to the Baltic to conduct air policing next year and also undertake the same mission in Iceland for the first time. With a total of 623 aircraft ordered to date, the Typhoon is currently the largest military procurement program in Europe. Uh, Typhoon is an advanced single, uh, sorry, advanced swing roll combat aircraft and can be deployed in the full spectrum of air operations, including air policing, uh, peace support and high intensity conflict. So uh, the chap here, CEO of Eurofighter, uh, based in Germany, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that bit there, but uh, he says that passing the 500,000 flying hours milestone underscores the fact that today the Eurofighter Typhoon is on the backbone of NATO's European air defence. But looking to future horizons, it will continue to be developed to defend against all threats uh, for decades to come. The aircraft will play a key role in the future uh, battle space and will be a central pillar in any future European combat air system, developing and integrating key technologies that will feed into that future system. Now, I can remember a few years back being at Riyadh and uh, having one of these um, taxiing past me um, up uh, on the flight line where they were parking the aircraft. And it's safe to say it's, it's, it's r- quite noisy uh, up close, the uh, Typhoon. But uh, I'm guessing you've probably seen a few of these about Armando in your uh, in your time. Yeah, I've actually seen them from afar, and uh, probably the most <laughs> time I've spent with a typhoon was at Riyadh. So we don't get to see them very often from uh, from our aircraft. No, I bet, I bet. So the next story, yeah. and, Armando. Uh, I wonder if you'd take this one oh. for me. This is uh, it's on the BBC News website. Okay, yeah. So. Uh, MPs calling for red arrows to move to RAF Leeming. So Royal Air Force aerobatic team currently stationed at RAF Scampton near Lincoln, uh, but the base is being sold by the Ministry of Defense. Richmond MP Rishi Sunak said he asked the Defense Secretary to consider RAF Leeming as the new base, adding that it would be an ideal fit. The MOD said no decisions on their future home have been yet made. In his letter to Defense Secretary Gavin Williamson, Mr. Sunak said, RAF Leeming had significant advantages over its rivals as the 100 Squadron, which flies Hawk T-1 fast jets, the same aircraft used by the Red Arrows, was stationed at the base. 
The North Yorkshire base has the capacity to accommodate the team. Having benefited from substantial investment in the past when it was home to two squadrons of tornado fighter bombers, Mr. Williamson said. He said the local roads and highways in the area had been improved with recent 400 million pound upgrade of the A1 and the completed Eskubidaliming bypass. You guys can help me on that one. <laughs> yeah, why not? Eskew? Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I gave it to you, Armando. I'm not going to... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, in Texas, we pronounce that askew. Um, uh, North Yorkshire has a rich heritage of hosting the Royal Air Force dating back to the Second World War when the Bomber Command had many bases in the area. His calls have been supported by a mayor or of North Hollerton, John Forrest, and mayor of Oh my gosh, Edale, Baydale, Edale. Edale, no, Edale's good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, having the Red Arrows based here would be very good for the area. They said. Um, so there you go. Okay, we do love the Red Arrows here in the UK, too. Don't yeah, well, the, the story's been, been amazing. ongoing for a little while now, isn't it? That obviously, the fact that they're closing Scampton down, mm. and they've got, got to obviously try and find a, a new home. For the yeah. uh, for the red arrows, but I think they'll be out of the country for a little while soon because obviously going, yeah, they're over going to on the a tour, US, a world tour, tour, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah over absolutely. to the US. So um, yeah, that'll be good. So yeah. uh, Nev, uh, do you want to take uh, the next one? Yes, it's on Flight Global, our favourite website. Yeah, now quality, quality. That is mm. <clears throat> mainly because the font's much bigger than the other. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, nothing to do with the content. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's about the Royal Air Force, and uh, the RAF is advancing its preparations to mark the departure from service of its last Panavia uh, Tornado GR4 strike aircraft next March. So in early November, a specially painted example of the variable geometry type emerged at RAF Marham in Norfolk. Uh, aircraft uh, Zulu Golf 775 has gained a commemorative nine squadron tail livery and fuselage markings to denote the tornado's service life, which began in 1982 in the GR1 guys. A detachment of GR4s is currently supporting the UK's Operation Shader contribution to coalition tasks over Iraq and Syria, flown from RAF Akrotiri in Cyprus. On retirement, the type's duties will be assumed by Eurofighter Typhoons and subsequently also Lockheed Martin F-35B Lightnings. The RAF retired the last of its Tornado F-3 air defence fighters in March 2011. Mm. It's a nice-looking aircraft, isn't it? It is, yes. Uh, it is. What do you think nice. of the paint scheme on the tail of that? It's quite cool, isn't it? It's like, I was just yeah. looking at when when yeah, Matt put up on the screen there, yeah. trying to work out whether that's a green bat. Do you think it's a yeah, green it's bat? A bat? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a green bat. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. We'll, we'll pop, pop it up on the screen. Pop it, pop it up again. It's. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, don't, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's a bat. It's a green bat. Yeah. 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 You could use it to signal Batman. I, I'd imagine. I'd imagine uh, yeah. Jonathan Warner's probably got about fourteen yeah. and a half yourself, million oh, photos yeah, yeah. of this <laughs> of this particular jet already. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because he does yeah. love a picture or two, doesn't he? He does. Yes. He, well, oh, come on. Coming coming from the one who takes how many photos at air shows? I, no. I I scaled back. <laughs> yeah, this Whatever. year yeah spare I me scaled back yeah 
I, I didn't take anywhere near as many photos. Right. Okay. As, did you bring? So. The, is that because you brought the small memory card and forgot the big one at home? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stick to sixty-four gig. Yeah. Don't go anything it. over that's, sixty-four that's gig. Yeah. Of course. Well, in the days when we had real film Aww. in cameras, uh, you <laughs> couldn't really sort of click away quite so uh, yeah. freely, carefree because yes. of, the, of the cost of it. Yeah. You couldn't delete them yes. either, Nev. There and then. No. 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 Indeed. No, yeah. Actually, there's a lot of love in the chat room for the the red arrows. Going back to the previous story here, Je- yeah. Jennifer is saying, "I would love to see the red arrows, and they are coming to uh, the, the states." US, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Jen. Jen. So uh, you, you never know; they might they might end up somewhere near you. Uh, Jonathan's rather unfairly referred to them as the dead sparrows, which I think is a bit rude. But that can't be. Uh, <laughs> That can't be good for uh, public morale. Uh, that's me. I upset him by saying that he's a huge fan of the Reds. Oh, is yeah. he? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tony S has suggested Batfink as the symbol on the back of the thing. Now, there's there's only a very small handful of people who will know what Batfink, Batfink. is. Yeah, I used yeah. to love that. My wings are like shields, shields of, of steel. steel. Yes, indeed. So that is the, the last of the yeah. few military stories this week. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, for those of you who watch from the beginning of the show, will remember that I said at the start of the show that we have got uh, quite a big uh, event or a kind of an interview happening yes, very soon. indeed. And uh, we're going to hand you over to Nev, because Nev's going to explain what's been going on in the background. Yes, and it's a really exciting moment, actually. Um, we... On PTUK, we, we get occasional requests from interviews from various people, but uh, this has been a very special one. And um, we've been asked to interview Sir Richard Johns. And uh, I'll tell you about him in a second. Um, but because he's a highly decorated uh, military member of the staff, uh, we decided that we would ask Captain Nick to do the interview and I'll go down with Nick and we will film it uh, on Friday of next week. Um, Sir Richard Johns's bio is absolutely fascinating. He's a retired senior Air Force commander. He was a fighter pilot in the 1960s, commanding officer of a squadron during the 1970s and a station commander in the 1980s. Sir Richard served as one of three British directors of operations on the senior planning staff for Operation Granby, which was the British contribution to the Gulf War in 1991, and then acted as a supporting commander for joint operations in the Balkans in 1994. As chief of the air staff, he advised the British government on the air force aspects of the strategic defence review and on NATO's air campaign in Kosovo. And uh, Sir Richard has recently written his autobiography, which we have been looking at and reviewing ourselves. And uh, Nick will be interviewing him next Friday, and we shall be uh, showing the interview at a later date. But uh, absolutely fascinating opportunity Mm. to interview someone with, uh, well, with with such a a track record and and such a track history. Uh, And we have a copy of, of said book, I think, don't we? We do, yeah. Indeed. Well, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. that could be a prize or something at some point. Perhaps we should do that as a, hmm. a yeah, Christmas yeah, time. I think that good, might be a yeah. good idea. Because he, he signed it, I think, as well, isn't he? If my memory serves. Or did he? 
Um, I'm not sure he has. No, but we okay. can get him to but do you so. Can get him to sign it when you see him. <laughs> that, There's that a would be good... quite good. Yeah, that'd be yeah, quite good. Sell more tickets if you say he did. Yeah, absolutely. This <laughs> yeah. is it. Yeah, no, we don't do selling. It, it'll be it, we we have a a giveaway at the uh, the Christmas competition. It could be one of the prizes in there. Yeah. We have got some nice prizes. For we the have Christmas yeah. competitions. Yeah. yeah. On that yeah. note, we uh, obviously with the run up to Christmas coming very mm. very swiftly, uh, as we're already well into November. Don't forget, we will be running again this year a Christmas competition. Yeah. As Matt said, we've got some really, really good prizes already yeah, lined up yeah. uh, for you guys and girls to win. And uh, the details of that competition will be coming up, obviously, yeah. into December. And uh, we'll obviously announce yeah. those on our last live show before we finish at Christmas. Indeed. Yeah. But uh, moving on to, uh, to something else that we that uh, we need to point out to to everyone who's watching on YouTube and also who's listening. Yeah. For those of you who, uh, who watch the show, may uh, cast your minds back. Every now and again, we have a young chap called Lee. Yes, uh, on the show. Oh, he'll and like you for that. Young, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he like Matt drives. Uh, we do, uh, Matt Lee drives a bus, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he yes, does. Yeah. But yeah. Lee, we'll, we'll gloss over that. Bit we'll gloss over that. Yeah, bit. Yeah, but yeah, Lee yeah. very kindly put together mm. a calendar yeah, for us. Yeah. Here now you nearly wet yourself when when I gave this to you. you I were know. Quite excited this is good. By this. So he yeah. really, really kindly put together a little calendar for us here for the studio because obviously we're going to put this on the yeah, wall. Yeah, so because we're going to put all our various dates and things on this is obviously for next year. So. Um, in January, Queen of the Skies Absolutely. there, the in, a certain, in, in certain colours, you know, and yeah. uh, just yeah. for Jonathan Warner there, there in the we chat are. room, February Bro. next year, yep. with Very the Harrier. Yeah, all, all, all oh, do, do you know I've missed the Harrier? They were a beautiful bit of kit. Uh, for March there, we've got the uh, 380 with uh, Emirates, good. beautiful aircraft. Beautiful, that is. Yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what we got here? We've got uh, in April. Ooh. We've got obviously something we all should know in the UK here. Uh, the Lancaster there, ah, right, looking splendid in April. Very good. Yes, um, <laughs> we've got one of our favourite <laughs> stories here uh, on the show. Yeah, Jet two, uh, yeah. Jet two. Uh, I should also. That's usually who Lee flies with as well. To yeah. be fair, so that's why with, with one of their two. incredibly new seven three sevens. Yes, the, uh, indeed. That's the three hundred yeah. series. That's yeah. really new. You're noting a bit of theme here. That, so all these pictures have something to do with uh, the people who are involved or who with have been on the show. Uh, none more so than the one that Carlos has in front in of him. In June. Right Obviously, <laughs> it's the best picture of all. Of course, uh, yes. with one of Air Malta's yes. um, <laughs> Airbus A320s. Right, the one that I actually flew to Malta on. Oh, is it? Uh, this year when oh, I wow. went out in July. Yeah, yeah. that's the uh, City of Letter one. They got painted oh, there. Very, very good. nice. Yeah. Um, obviously, another. Oh, now, you, now you see this. This again, ticks many boxes, doesn't it? Because it's basically the best picture. It's the it's the TriStar L1011 with BA's colours on it. With I mean, it couldn't be more perfect. Livery. Could it? <laughs> Look at that, and that is you absolutely... Can't beat the Landor, can you? you can't that, beat the Landor. No, yeah. uh, moving on to August, we've got a picture from this summer's barbecue. Oh, the barbecue. seething flying, yeah. There oh, we can wow. see uh, Captain Al and uh, Pilot Pip in formation there flying. No, no, I think you'll find that was actually Captain Al and a certain Armando. Oh, because Armando. Pilot sorry, Pip Cal was late, Sorry, wasn't Captain he? Al yeah. and uh, Armando, sorry, yeah. yeah. Pip was supposed to be... Yeah, a bit ill. I think they had a, <laughs> they had a mobile phone issue with Milo at some point. So, oh, uh, glossing over. In on. September, yeah. we've got uh, oh, the Spitfire there. It's yeah, a good one, a beautiful a picture there. Yeah. And October, the SR-71 Blackbird. Ooh, there we go. For those of you who've been to Duxford Imperial War Museum, and oh, of course, yeah. you would have seen this one close yeah. up and personal. Indeed. Into the November. What November. Oh, it's, uh, it's got to be the Red Arrows, isn't it? Red oh, Arrows again with, with, uh, with Concord. Wow. So it's quite I didn't nice know there. they did that. 
a few years ago, Matt. A few yeah, years ago. Well, no, obviously. And obviously, for December, <laughs> we have got uh, obviously the best picture ever. And this is Captain Nick in his biplane. There we oh, go. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, There's absolutely. Captain Nick. I think it's very beautiful. That's what, he, that's what he goes to work in every day, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that? Isn't that that's <laughs> yeah, lovely it is. there. That's yeah, beautiful. Indeed. beautiful. Anyway, thank you very much, thank Lee, you, Lee, for sending oh, that, that in. We're looking forward to getting that up yeah. on the wall. Up on the wall so, behind right, me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's good. Uh, so uh, I think that's more or less everything we have to uh, discuss. Uh, Nev, what are you up to this week? Uh, well, it's uh, another hectic week at work, but uh, yeah, I'm taking Friday off because, to say, Nick and I are going to go and interview uh, yeah, Richard. And then the following week on the 20th of November, uh, which is actually yeah, not that far away, is it? Uh, Nick's doing one of his uh, excellent lectures oh, uh, yeah. again. And this time it's at the Royal Aeronautical Society in Loughborough. Uh, and uh, I'm going along with me camera and audio stuff as well. So we'll be oh, doing some filming of him. So we'll have a, a nice personal um, permanent record of yeah. his stuff there as well. So I yeah, look forward we'll... to seeing seeing a copy of that, please, Nev. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you've got quite a busy couple of weeks ahead of you then by the sound of it, Nev. I have. Yes, I must make sure I've got some charged batteries. Yes, as well. highly recommended. Yeah. What about you, Armando? What are you up to in the next week? Uh, well, this is actually our Veterans Day uh, in the U.S. Co- coincides with Remembrance Day, so we actually have a few days off work. Mm-hmm. Um, just been uh, kind of hanging around. Probably get some flying in. I'll, I'll be uh, participating in a parade down in Sudbury. Uh, that'll be really nice—a Remembrance Day parade. Yeah. And then, other than that, just a normal work week. What, what about you, Carlos? What are you up to? Well, I thought um, probably early tomorrow morning I'll be stalking uh, Gemma as she flies back from Dubai. I don't think you can call it stalking when it's your wife. Oh, yeah, mate. true. I don't yeah. Think that you... Ah, now that <laughs> reminds me, the question I have to ask. Now, uh, last week, towards the end of the show, obviously, I highlighted uh, a concern I had, uh, which was basically involving how terribly tight Carlos is in the fact <laughs> that he was refusing to pay the £3.50 to drop his wife and his wife's best friend off directly at the airport. Now, uh, oh. everybody is on tenderhooks, I have no doubt, as to what you actually did. Did you actually drop them off outside the terminal, or did you be a complete tight ass and go and make them get off at the midstay car park? Over to you, Carlos. Um, <laughs> no, well, no, wrong answer. <laughs> basically, as oh, I, no. as I uh, would like to say, that I, I, I upgraded their seats on the way out. Right, Very kind okay. of me. I sense excuses here, I children. Had, yeah. uh, I, had a, I had a limousine pickup for them when they got to Dubai, which I, right. was my treat, because it was Gemma's birthday a few weeks back. Right. Um, and because of that, obviously, the funds were slightly stretched, uh, so I took them to the mid oh, midterm stay no. car park oh, to the free drop off point, where they immediately, the instant I dropped them off, got a bus to the terminal with their suitcases. With their suitcases. The, walk the walk of shame. The walk of shame. Absolutely. Um, now, now, Nev, how do we feel? I mean, obviously, when it comes to Mrs. Nev, of course, you wouldn't dream of doing such an awful, awful thing. Uh, well, no, of course not. No, no, no. So a, that pause was a bit long. Yeah, though, it was yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, 
concern everybody yeah. no obviously I, I would not be doing that at all but uh, more than would be my life's worth well that, that is true now i have to say i mean obviously because you know armando obviously you know he's he's now he's all this new love thing you know, never mind this yeah. old hat stuff like what we've got i mean obviously mm. you wouldn't be so rude correct i would pay the three pound fifty exactly there we are <laughs> carlos you, you have officially been shamed <laughs> honestly uh, but uh, on, on the plus side i did get a message from Gemma earlier this week because the, the broadband unfortunately was pretty Rubbish. At yeah. a hotel uh, in Dubai. Um, but she did message me to say that she has brought me some dates. Oh. So I shall be enjoying those when she comes Right. Home. Okay. Perhaps she should charge you £3.50 as she hands them yeah. over. But anyway. But <laughs> on the plus side, hopefully next weekend I will be meeting up with Armando. Uh, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Although I'm um, meeting up with him tomorrow. So uh, to you. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Next weekend the weather will be fantastic, and yeah. we'll uh, uh, me and Armando. I've got a bad a feeling flying. it's not going to be nice when I come tomorrow. Yeah, according not to the forecast. So good for no, flying tomorrow, Matt. Indeed. Oh, Perhaps yeah. I should come next week instead. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, uh, it is. Uh, uh, how do they get in touch with the show then, Carlos? So if you want to get in touch with the show, don't forget you can through social media. We're on Facebook, uh, Facebook uh, at Plain Talking UK. Uh, if you go on Twitter at Plain Talking UK. Yeah, basically just search social just media search for social Plain media Talking UK. Plain and UK. if they want to write to the show, Nev, how do they go about doing that? Oh, yes, that's uh, the best way of getting in contact, actually. Yep. It's uh, podcast at Plain Talking UK. Dot com and we all get to see that so yep. we can see your wonderful work indeed we've so, had a couple of uh, glitches with the email but i think fingers crossed the new system is working yeah. quite well i think isn't it so uh, hopefully uh, that we won't have the glitches that we've been having before mm. but we'll say a big thanks to all our youtube viewers who uh, watched yep. the show tonight and in uh, and who watched the show as well on uh, youtube but not forgetting as well everyone who downloads the show mm. through all the various podcast platform yep. downloady type program thingy was names like itunes and podbean yep. and stitcher and and all those things and don't forget if you do download the show through itunes me matt and nev would really appreciate uh, a review on itunes because mm. it helps to kind of push things around in the yeah. right direction and stuff Agreed. like that matt knows what it does i don't yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah we really really really, really appreciate Mm. that very much so uh, that is where we're going to bring the show uh, to a kind of handover uh, part yeah indeed I'm going to hand things over to Matt indeed we'll say uh, from all of us uh, before I launch into this from all of us we'll say goodbye for now Uh, everyone knows that us Brits are renowned for um, being very proud and November the 11th 2018 commemorates 100 years of the end of the Great War the war to end all wars which was of course World War One now, I thought I was very up on my history until I stumbled across a piece of text that I found, actually, ironically, on Facebook. And I found it very moving. The story that I found is called The Unknown Warrior. The music used in this piece are Carl Jenkins, The Armed Man, A Mass for Peace, on UMG WMG Records. Uh, Edward Elgar, Nimrod, uh, WMG EMI Classic Records. And The Last Post, which is a recording from the Australian Broadcasting Company. From episode 242, we say goodbye and hand things over to Captain Nick.
on November the 7th, 1920, in the strictest secrecy, four unidentified British bodies were exhumed from temporary battlefield cemeteries at Ypres, Arras, the Aisne, and the Somme, and placed in four plain coffins, each covered with a Union flag. None of the soldiers who did the digging were told why. The bodies were taken by field ambulance to the general headquarters at Saint-Paul-sur-Tenoise, and once there the coffins were draped with the Union flag. Sentries were posted and Brigadier General Wyatt closed his eyes and moving between the coffins selected one at random. The other three were reburied. A French honour guard was selected from the 8th Infantry, who had recently been awarded the Légion d'Honneur en masse, and they stood vigil by the coffin of the chosen soldier overnight. On the morning of the 8th of November, a specially designed oaken coffin made from trees cut from the grounds of Hampton Court Palace arrived, and the unknown soldier was placed inside. The casket was banded with iron and a medieval crusader's sword chosen personally by King George V from the royal collection was fixed on top and surmounted by an iron shield bearing the inscription A British warrior who fell in the Great War 1914 to 1918 for king and country. The casket was then placed onto a French military wagon drawn by six black horses. Then the mile-long procession, led by 1,000 local schoolchildren and escorted by a division of French troops, made its way down to the harbour to the sound of the Boulogne church bells, the massed trumpets of the French cavalry and the bugles of the French infantry. There he was saluted by Marshal Foch and carefully carried up the gangway of the destroyer HMS Verdun, bound for Dover, and piped aboard to an admiral's call. The coffin stood on the deck, covered in wreaths, surrounded by the French honour guard. HMS Verdun slipped anchor just before noon, and escorted by six battleships, set sail for England. As they passed Dover Castle, the flotilla received a 19-gun Field Marshal's salute. Upon arrival at the docks, the body was placed on a special train in van number 132, which had previously carried the bodies of the beloved nurse, Edith Cavell, who had helped 200 Allied prisoners escaped from German-occupied Belgium and who was executed by a German firing squad, and Charles Fryat, a civilian merchant navy captain who was also executed for attempting to ram a U-boat despite being a civilian non-combatant. The train remained at Victoria Station in London overnight and a plaque still marks the spot between platforms 8 and 9 where every year a small remembrance service takes place. On the morning of the 11th of November 1920 
the casket was placed onto a gun carriage of the Royal Horse Artillery and drawn by six horses through immense and silent crowds. As the cortege set off, a further field marshal salute was fired in Hyde Park. The route followed was past Hyde Park Corner, the Mall, and into Whitehall, where the Cenotaph, a symbolic empty tomb, was unveiled by King Emperor George V. The cortege was then followed by the King, the Royal Family, and Ministers of State to Westminster Abbey, where the casket was borne into the west nave of the Abbey, flanked by a guard of honour of 100 recipients of the Victoria Cross, the highest bravery award that can be bestowed on a member of the British Armed Forces. The idea of the unknown soldier came to an army chaplain, David Roughton, who had served on the front line during the Great War. He had seen a grave marked by a rough cross while serving on the Western Front, which bore the pencil-written legend, an unknown British soldier. In his own words, how that grave caused me to think. But who was he? And who were they, his folk? There was no answer to those questions, nor has there ever been yet. So I thought and thought, and wrestled in thought. What can I do to ease the pain of the father, mother, brother, sister, sweetheart, wife and friend? Quietly and gradually, there came out of the mist of thought this answer, clear and strong. Let this body, this symbol of him, be carried reverently over the sea to his native land and I was happy for a few minutes. He suggested the nation should have a symbolic funeral and burial of an unknown warrior, proposing that the grave should include a national monument. The idea received the support of the Dean of Westminster, Prime Minister David Lloyd George, and later from King George V, responding to a wave of public support. The coffin was then interred in the far western end of the nave of Westminster Abbey, only a few feet from the entrance, in soil bought from each of the main battlefields and covered with a silk pall. Servicemen from the armed forces stood guard as tens of thousands of mourners filed silently past. The guests of honour were a group of about 100 women. They had been chosen because they had each lost their husband and all their sons in the war. The grave was then capped with a black Belgian marble stone and is the only tombstone in the abbey upon which it is forbidden to walk. It features an inscription engraved on brass from ammunition that had been melted down. Beneath this stone rests the body of a British warrior, unknown by name or rank, brought from France to lie among the most illustrious of the land, and buried here on Armistice Day, 11th of November, 1920, in the presence of His Majesty 
King George V, his ministers of state, the chiefs of his forces, and a vast concourse of the nation. Thus are commemorated the many multitudes who, during the Great War of 1914 to 1918, gave the most that man can give life itself, for God, for King and country, for loved ones, home and empire, for the sacred cause of justice and the freedom of the world, they buried him among the kings because he has done good towards God and towards his house. So it is at this time we remember those who died during the Great War and every conflict since by wearing a red poppy. The Remembrance Poppy was inspired by the Canadian physician Lieutenant Colonel John McCree in Flanders Field with the immortal lines In Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. So at 11 a.m. on the 11th of November each year, we remember with humility the great and ultimate sacrifices that were made, not just in this war, but in every war and conflict where our service personnel have fought to ensure the liberty and freedoms we now take for granted. going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. 